In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. I'm David Knowles, and this is Ukraine, the latest. Today, we'll discuss the latest updates from the front line, looking at reports of mass graves and war crimes in Irpin and Bucha, discovered after Russian soldiers were ousted from the towns by the Ukrainian army. We'll also speak to The Telegraph's global health reporter, Harriet Barber, on the latest updates on the situation for refugees in the region. This hideous and barbaric venture of Vladimir Putin must end in failure. Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. Every weekday afternoon, I sit down with leading journalists from The Telegraph's London newsroom and our teams reporting on the ground to bring you the latest news and analysis on the war in Ukraine. It's day 40, and today I'm joined by Dominic Nichols, The Telegraph's defence and security editor, Mutaz Ahmed from our comment team, and Harriet Barber, our global health reporter. Just a warning that today's episode will cover events that some listeners may find distressing. I started by asking Mutaz about the awful images and stories that have emerged from Butcher and Erpin over the weekend. The images we saw over the weekend were horrific. Um, uh, I think there's pretty much consensus um, uh, among the lawyers I've been speaking to this morning, um, which include uh, people like Jeffrey Robertson, who worked on uh, war crimes in Sierra Leone, for instance, that those images are evidence, pretty clear evidence of war crimes um, uh, and that the images alone <clears throat> uh, warrant more action from the West. Um, unfortunately, we will probably see more of this, not less, because uh, when these atrocities occur, they occur in the dark, they occur when troops have control over a certain area and uh, journalists uh, and lawyers and um, evidence collectors and researchers and families, unfortunately, only really get to see how horrific the conditions were once the occupiers and the invaders have left. Um, And so as the Russians pull out of more towns as they push back further and further, we'll see more evidence, I think, of uh, the indiscriminate killing of civilians. And one of the most horrific things about those pictures was that uh, the, the, the corpses you could see, um, those people had their hands tied behind their backs. 
um, and it you know it suggests they were restrained before they were killed, and that shows that it wasn't just collateral damage. Um, these soldiers sought out civilians, um, tied them up, um, and killed them, um, and that's a war crime. Tom, I believe you're back in. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've seen over the weekend? Yeah, hi, David. Hi, everybody. Sorry about that. The the perils of having multiple children trying to homeschool riddled with COVID. Uh, I keep dropping out, so apologies for that. Um, yeah, so very briefly, tactically, Russia is still focusing on, on getting out of the country and repositioning forces. So there's been, there's been little um, tactical activity bar... Um, shelling. So Odessa has been shelled from the Black Sea Fleet. Um, the uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that Izium, that town sort of south of, of Kharkiv, the gateway, if you like, to the to Donbass, um, is is about eighty percent. Eighty percent of the of the buildings there have been have been damaged in some way, if not destroyed. So that's getting a pounding as well. Um, but uh, all Russian forces are thought to be gone from the environs of Kiev. It's thought that Ukraine has the uh, is in control up to the border with Belarus. Still, some question about Russian forces in Chernihiv. There were reports that there were no more Russian forces in that area. Um, but the uh, the mayor, or possibly the deputy mayor, forgive me, of Chernihiv, says that there are still uh, Russian forces in the area. So some some question mark there about the the very north of the country. But generally. Uh, Russia is focused on on getting out and and trying to get round the corner to the Donbass. Um, quite how how long how that will how quickly they'll be able to do that is is a is a question that um, I don't think it'll be quick at all. Uh, but as Muta has been saying, as you've been saying, that the focus today is of these appalling appalling scenes in um, uh, in Bucha to the to the, the northwest of uh, Kiev city centre itself. And all I'd say is that I mean we are <clears throat> we are very lucky in this country and many many countries around the world that we don't have a great experience of warfare. That that should be right. That is the direction that that humanity should be going in. Um, I was in the British Army for a while, so I've got a got a bit, bit of experience with this, not not a huge amount, but um, I had a walk on part in most of the punch ups we've tried to get involved in in the last twenty five years. Uh, and I just want to make the point that that what we're seeing now, um, because it's new to many many people in the country and around the world. We shouldn't just file this under, oh, that just happens in war or it's inevitable when you get people with guns running around. Um, we should not expect this. It's not only visible to us now because everyone's got a smartphone in their pocket. These are unusual scenes. This is not what normally happens in war. War is always atrocious and, and horrific and, and best avoided. But these scenes are, are not normal. They are a crime. They don't happen everywhere. Um, and they, they do need to be held to account. So we, we need to pause here. Um, today is the 73rd anniversary of the formation of NATO, and um, we, we just need to reflect on, on quite where we are as humanity. You know, what, what is acceptable and what systems do we use um, to either allow this to happen or to try and stop it happening? If, if the UN, if, the P, if a P5 member of the UN is able to do this to someone else and has the power of veto over whatever, whatever we want to try and get through the UN, then something is fundamentally wrong. And now's, I think now is the moment when we really get to choose about what we, what we are for the next turn of the wheel for humanity, the next hundred years, couple hundred years, whatever, um, you know, autocracy versus democracy and so on and so forth. I'll, I'll pause there because I'm sort of a little stream of consciousness. But but I do think this is above and beyond the, the horror that we're witnessing. And I, I really yeah, we are going to see more of this as elsewhere in the, elsewhere in the country is relieved of Russian forces. But we, this is not normal. Is that is the point? The point I want really want people to take away. This is not what most soldiers do in most wars. 
Mutas, would you take us through um, the West's reaction to this? Yeah, so it took some time for the, the, the images to sort of... Uh, for, for the institutions to respond. You, you can imagine sort of advisors showing these leaders, the, these heads of governments, the pictures, and, and they will have had a very human response. And it, and it took some time for them to um, uh, respond publicly with statements. Um, uh, but we've seen... Basically, Western leaders agree on two things. The first is that these images are evidence of war crimes by the Russian military. Um, There's almost total agreement on that. And the second is that the images alone warrant a more severe response. So they're not going to wait for sort of a a trial to occur or uh, a UN investigation to complete. Um, the, the images alone are, are provide enough evidence. You know, the breadth of, of of the evidence is so clear that you know they they can push ahead with more sanctions almost immediately. So we've seen Emmanuel Macron come out and talk about uh, sanctions on oil and gas, uh, which, as we've discussed previously, is is very difficult for countries like France and Germany, which are more reliant on. Uh, Russian fo- fossil fuels than 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 we are. Uh, we've seen uh, um, uh, Secretary Blinken uh, talk about facilitating uh, weapons movements into Ukraine uh, and potentially even Soviet-era tanks. Uh, and we've seen the UK uh, talk about providing um, um, support in terms of uh, specialist lawyers and investigators. That's that's something. We have a lot of speciality in, and of course, we, we already committed to um, giving more money, more funds to the International Criminal Court, which will obviously play a very important role. Uh, Russia isn't a signatory, um, so uh, uh, Putin can't. Uh, it, it's difficult to, to try Russia um, directly, but uh, ICC resources will be very important, and we have. Uh, provided a, a, a package, I think. Um, there'll be a lot of thinking about what else can be done, but there's agreement that more sanctions will be coming. And if you look at sort of the scale of the sanctions already, what we're talking about really is there is now a determination to cripple the Russian economy. Um, and that's going to have a very, very severe effect, not just for Russia, but for the global um, economy. Um, so yes, uh, another thing the, the images have done is is all this t- optimistic talk of negotiations. Well, we're, we're not hearing it today because uh, it's very difficult to talk about compromise when when one side is is committing such uh, atrocities. That would be my next question. Really, is how how have these um, uh, how have these revelations affected negotiations? Um, Dom or Mutas, do you want to speak to this? Well, neither, neither side are, are willing to come to the negotiating table with any real resolve at the moment. Uh, we've said before that uh, unless and until you feel that you're you're not going to get more of what you want by continuing on the battlefield than you are at the negotiating table, you're not going to really get stuck into it. I think that's the, the case now. Plus, of course, you've got the added emotional dimension from the Ukrainians of, of just not not wanting to give an inch now at all when they see see images like this. So no negotiations still still some way away. <clears throat> I mean this this talk of oh we're not we're not quite ready yet for the leaders to meet. The leaders are not going to meet. I mean that's just simply 
unless it's my video link, because how, how's it going to happen? Putin would not risk leaving the country. I'd be, I'd be very, very surprised if he, if he did that. It would be a, a very high bar for some other, some other state or um, third party to try and try and take action against him were he to leave Russia. But it's not out of the question. Um, I, I, so I don't think he's, he's going to leave Russia. Uh, and for Mr. Zelensky to go in, to go to Russia for um, for for face to face negotiations, almost un- unthinkable. So very very sceptical about that. Um, so I don't think the the negotiations are are pushed forward at all. I think we're still quite early on in this in this war, um, and uh, yeah, neither side feels that their their aims are going to be maximised through negotiations just yet. So no, this 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 does nothing but sort of stiffen stiffen resolve to stay where they are at the moment. I, I was intrigued by um, a, a, a couple of statements that came from Zelensky yesterday. Uh, you, Europe, there's been a very soft, subtle split um, in Europe on on negotiations. Um, the UK has has I, I wouldn't say urged Ukraine to take a, a tough line, but the, the UK has has not pushed as hard as Germany and France for a negotiated settlement with Putin. Um, and it was interesting yesterday that Zelensky urged uh, um, the leaders of Germany and France, so Schultz and Macron, to go to, to Bucha uh, um, and to see the war crimes uh, that were committed. And when it came to Boris Johnson, he said he, he thanked Boris Johnson for his historic leadership. So I think that suggests something about where Zelensky's mind is at when it comes to uh, these negotiations. Just thinking about what's happening in Butcher, can we can we go back to it and just make sure we've we've covered exactly exactly what people what people have found? And I'd be interested in two things, Dom. If you if you'd lead us through your notes and your thoughts on on what Ukrainian soldiers found there, and then and I, I know you spoke to it a little bit earlier, but the fact that we the soldiers have found corpses in in the in the street and. This is because the Ukrainian army on their counterattack have been pushing the Russians out. So that that should surely tell us something interesting and uh, about the tactical situation close to Kiev as well. Yes, yeah, so the, the genesis of this was Russia's decision to relocate to the east, where apparently the the main effort has been all along. This is uh, uh, holding on to the Donbass and ex- expanding the the areas there. I don't personally believe that, but that's what Russia's saying. And if that is what they have to say to to get out of the rest of the country, then. Okay, I'll take that for now. Um, but so as they as they rolled back, Ukrainian forces were able to to harry them up to the Belarusian border uh, and and free up these these towns and villages to the north, northwest, and northeast of of Kiev itself. Um, now you've got, be, you've got to be very careful about where you take your information from here. You know who who are who are your trusted sources? We can't all verify the information we're getting ourselves. We have to go to people that we trust as verified. The information they are they are offering. So um, it's really really a moment now to be very very careful with where you get your information from. I would suggest the organisation Human Rights Watch is not a bad place to start. They are on the ground. They are taking witness testimony both face to face and um, over the phone and over other other media. Um, and they are they are recognised to be a, a a considered and and stable actor in this area so i would suggest they're a good place to start for now so they've said that there are 410 bodies been found in butcher images that we've seen that describe people in the street um for example 
one one man i think it was on this on a bike just as if he's fallen off his bike or he's not he's, he's dead um but, but what what military action was he allegedly carrying out to warrant his his death there are other civilians we've seen stripped naked and un, under placed under blankets women by the side of the road uh people with hands tied behind their back and shot in the head i mean these are all the, the more you see the more you struggle to see any legitimate reason why that could be explained as a as either a military target or um, posing a direct threat to the soldier such that they had to take life i mean it's just it is beyond it is beyond belief um but that's my view you might have a different view all i'd ask is that you you look at where you're getting your information from and then ask why and how the person you're listening to uh, might know the information they are they are offering um i think it's telling that the uh, the, the Kremlin's come out with denials already, saying it's it's fake, um, it's all staged, um, supported by the Americans, all the usual stuff. Um, yeah, we, I, I mean, there is no, there's almost no no counter to someone who holds that that view because they've already decided which way, wh- what they want to support. Um, so I would just I would just urge people to 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 look at where they're getting their information from. Don't don't reach for the um, emotional handle just yet. There will be time for that. But for now, um, we don't want to play into the disinformation camp and start retweeting images that we haven't verified or passing on rumour and conjecture. We just need to be... We need to uh, allow those people that are there on the ground, journalists, international organisations um, and other aid agencies, for example, to get information... And then allow people to go in and who are professionals at uncovering war crimes and taking taking evidence from such sites, and allow them to do their job before we before we can we can pronounce more broadly. So I'm very cautious in in the information that I'm amplifying, and I will only amplify information from from either um, direct trusted sources, i.e., people I know who are telling me things, or or sort of um, organisations that I know have a good track record in this. We spoke last week, for example, about Bellingcat. I've never met anyone from Bellingcat personally, but I, I trust them as a as a source of open source information. And there are others. I've, I've highlighted Human Rights Watch. Um, so, yeah, where, where you get your information from, and just just be cautious as we step into this because it's 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 a very dangerous area. Once we start um, disputing fact as opposed to disputing what we might want to believe then it's very it's very difficult to get anything concrete to stick here in terms of war crimes Um, and that is exactly what the opposition would want I, i would suggest there's one important regional update to bring you to on sunday hungary's pm victor orban secured a fourth term in office despite being accused of cozying up to vladimir putin with 75% of the ballots counted, Mr Orban's Fidesz-led coalition had won 54.5% of the vote, while a pro-European opposition coalition, United for Hungary, had nearly 34%, according to the National Election Office. His victory will not only alarm the EU, but also Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, who had accused Mr Orban of being the only one in Europe to publicly back Russia and made no effort to stop the war. MEPs have also accused Orban of using EU funds to rig the elections. Do read our reporters, Joe Barnes, David Millward, Bala Seiko and James Crisp, who've been covering these elections for The Telegraph. I asked Mutaz Ahmed for his reaction to Orban's victory and what it means for Ukraine and the West. It is, I believe, his fourth consecutive victory 
it is a huge victory. Um, he's won two thirds uh, of the legislature. It, it, it makes him, you know, all powerful in Hungary. And there are two reasons this matters. Um, the first is that really it's a repudiation of Brussels. Um, uh, uh, Orban ran a campaign against Brussels and his opposition ran a campaign saying they would be closer to Brussels and Brussels uh, uh, by Brussels I mean the European Union uh, has been uh, uh, has considered imposing sanctions on Hungary um, uh, for what it sees as rule of law violations so it, it considers some of the stuff that Orban has done with the courts um, uh, to be um, uh, against what it it thinks a democratic country should should uh, sh- how it thinks a democratic country should should behave, um, <clears throat> so it, it 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 fractures in in that sense the unity of the West uh, and definitely the unity of the of the European Union uh, as an Eastern member state. Uh, the second thing is that Hungary, of course, is. Is it's right there? It's right next to Ukraine, and um, uh, it has taken its fair share of Ukrainian refugees. Um, but it's taken a different position to the war than some of its neighbours. We've seen Poland play a very active role in terms of uh, facilitating weapons movements, and you, you know we had that controversy over Poland transferring fi- fighter jets to Ukraine. Hungary has sought to just stay out of it. Um, it has played a sort of middle role between Russia and the West. So Orban has imposed Western sanctions. Um, he hasn't opposed that, but he hasn't um, engaged in, in sort of weapons transfers. Um, he met, he was one of the last leaders to meet Putin before the invasion. Um, and one of his key messages during the campaign was, if you vote for me, we'll, we will stay out of the war. Um, so it shows that not all Eastern European countries agree um, on this matter. They're, 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 we are seeing some fracturing, um, and it shows that there is an appetite uh, among parts of the electorate in, in perhaps some of these Eastern European countries for <clears throat> not necessarily appeasing Russia, but, but uh, not wanting to uh, escalate the situation. Um, it might be because people are scared. It might be because some people don't don't trust the Western position. I don't know, but it's 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 an interesting result. Thank you, Mutas. Before we bring in Harriet Barber from our global health team, is there anything we more I think we need to say about about Butcher and Erpin? Well, not directly about um, about Butcher, but it is worth noting that today, um, uh, two thousand or two thousand one hundred Czech, Czech soldiers. Uh, sorry. I'll, I'll step back. Czech soldiers are moving into Slovakia today to help set up a new new NATO um, training base, um, which will eventually total 2,100 soldiers from uh, the Czech Republic, uh, United States, Germany, Netherlands, Poland, Slovakia and, and Slovenia. So so this is an expansion of NATO's enhanced forward presence mission since since 2015 in response to the invasion of Crimea, NATO uh, had four extra battle groups in the Baltic states and Poland, and a decision taken at the NATO conference two weeks ago was to have an additional four in Slovakia, Hungary, uh, Romania, and Bulgaria. So uh, this is the first sort of concrete vision of that view of that. These, these Czech soldiers setting up today this new the new NATO base uh, in Slovakia, and it just underlines that that one one of the aims Putin said for for this whole 
misadventure was um, to, to push push NATO further away. It's a concrete example of he's getting more NATO closer to him with this with this action today. And and can I just say one more thing on on Butcher? There's a, there's a very good piece um, in the paper today in in the, in Telegraph and and online by Jack Watling, who's um, uh, an expert at. at um, the Royal United Services Institute, and he spent a lot of time in Ukraine. Um, and, and he notes that uh, broadly there are two ways in which militaries deal with civilian populations in countries that, that are not their own. The first is the way that sort of Western countries do it, what we attempted in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is you go into civilian areas and you try and work with civilians and you try and create a civilian leadership and you have these uh, joint councils and you you work together basically you work by some level of consent and the second way is collective punishment uh, and you punish ordinary people when you're failing militarily and sometimes even when you're not failing for their military's actions um, and generally usually uh, in places like Darfur uh, and with the Rohingya Muslims, that that leads to gen- that leads to serious war crimes. Um, and so, if we're seeing that sort of collective pu- collective punishment in one town in Russia, um, his message is: don't be surprised if we see it elsewhere. Um, this is there is a, a a vile method to this madness, um, and it is it seems part of the Russian doctrine. Thank you very much, Musas, and thank you, Dom. I'd like to invite uh, Harriet Barber, our global health reporter, to join us now. Harriet focuses on humanitarian crises and re- refugees reporting here at The Telegraph. Uh, Harriet, you wrote a story over the weekend about the refugee crisis in Ukraine. Can you, can you sum up the situation on the ground now? So I spoke to the Secretary General of the International Federation of the Red Cross last week, and he painted a really stark picture of the crisis at the borders. He described one scene in which a volunteer carried an elderly woman over the border like a baby on her back and described how she was sobbing that somebody unknown to her had arrived to carry her to safety. He talked about refugees being stuck on the road for hours, some with frostbite in queues sometimes 100,000 people long. He also talked about the great generosity of the people in Poland helping people across. And obviously the the, the Red Cross relies on primarily on, on volunteers. What's the volunteer response been now we're in the sixth, sixth week of the war? So within the first month of the war, the number of Red Cross volunteers within Ukraine actually doubled from 3,000 to 6,000. To begin with, they were training in first aid. They were moving food parcels, bottled water, clothing. The focus is now shifting as more lo- longer term solutions. So they're building tougher shelters to protect from bomb attacks. At least 70 hospitals have also been destroyed and other hospitals are under pressure as supplies run thin. So there's a big focus from the Ukrainian Red Cross about building up health clinics too. You've also written about the the risk of um, an increase in human trafficking. Um, Why? What's actually happening? So there have been reports from some human rights organisations about suspected sex traffickers preying on women at refugee shelter points on the border. They've said women were being accosted aggressively under the guise of offering transport work or accommodation. One of the challenges now is that more people are travelling in small groups and going by foot, which puts them in a much more vulnerable position. And turning from women to children, do do we have a sense of 
how many children have either fled or, or, or been, even been killed so, so far? Yes, so the UN has documented that more than 100 children have been killed during the conflict. A further 134 children have been injured. Those figures were, were from last week, so there could be new figures to come out soon. Um, two million children have fled and an additional 2.5 million children have been displaced within Ukraine also, which is obviously a huge movement of children who need physical, psychological support and eventually to be registered in new schools and to try and restart their lives. Thank you so much for that update, Harriet. That's um, that's a lot. Um, well, it just goes for me to say, um, just just to ask really for your, for your final thoughts in this in this further week of the war, in this next week of the war, Mute hasn't done. What should we be looking out for? Where where should we direct our attentions? Well, I think we we cannot allow this the focus to move away from Butcher. There will be others, uh, of course, and we need to take a view on on where we where we stand with it. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow this into this. This is the moment we all decide. But I mean, it, it's not far from it. There's only a couple of times in in recent history where the world's actually come together to say enough's enough. And it was Nuremberg and uh, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. And of course, both of those happened when the um, when the, the the perpetrator of the most horrific acts ha- had lost. Um, and so there's there's no guarantee. We don't know how this thing's going to end, obviously. Um, and so it, it it is too too easy to say that there will be a reckoning here. Um, so so we just need to to maintain this this pressure on our elected members and in our um, civil society and and the way we we think about and discuss these things about what, what, is is this acceptable? What what price will it take for us personally um, to see this this threat? gone would we would we accept higher fuel prices uh, food prices would we accept know, opening up north sea oil and gas would we get fracking etc etc there's a there's a price for all of us to pay here to, to stand up against this threat that we've now finally seen the mask is off if it had ever ever not been there entirely we now know what we're up against with these these autocracies that that just don't don't adhere to to the to the norms of a of a modern world um and it's now up to us to say well are we are we going to live with that or, or what can we do to stop it? Um, so we shouldn't just allow this to be rubbed under the carpet with the disinformation. And as we said earlier on, as I said earlier on, we shouldn't allow people to say to us, well, you know, this this always happens in war. There's nothing new here. You're only seeing it because of all the smartphones. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Uh, and we need to, to sort of mark this moment and decide what, what we're going to do with it. I'd just like to flag two things that, that we will have definitely online on on the Telegraph website tomorrow. Uh, The first will be a piece by, an article by Hugh Williamson, um, who is the director of Human Rights Watch in in Europe, on on the work that's being done to collect uh, this evidence of war crimes. Um, uh, We have video technology now and video analysts that frankly weren't even available, you know, even sort of, with the genocide in Darfur, uh, which was a 21st century genocide, we didn't have that this sort of technology then. Um, so we're able now to pinpoint locations and to verify photos and videos in a much more definitive and uh, uh, um, undeniable way. So there's lots of work being done on that by uh, people from Human Rights Watson and, uh, and so on. Um, and the second article will be, will be by Jeffrey Robertson, 
QC who worked on um, uh, prosecuting war crimes in Sierra Leone. Um, and he believes that um, there's sufficient evidence, not just to um, judge that Russia, the Russian military has committed war crimes, but to hold Putin personally accountable for it. Um, so there'll be a lot of deep thinking about war crimes and, and, and you know this issue of the coming week. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not that hopeful uh, because we said never again after Srebrenica and uh, and then we had Darfur um, uh, and you know uh, many other instances, not just of war crimes but of, of genocide across the world. Um, and in the case of Russia, which is now attempting to use its seat in the Europe in the in the UN Security Council to deny what happened in Bucha. Um, there isn't really much much leverage um but then you know it, it, it there is this with this world this constant sense of of helplessness that that the person or or the or the institutions committing these atrocities are too powerful to be held to account and 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 it it it, it goes up every time level by level in its you know the despair we fear we feel over the 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 helplessness um we're suffering from and it it just gets more and more depressing um as for the war it will move east and further south and odessa uh uh has been shelled uh uh, uh repeatedly over the weekend uh i think that will probably become a, a focal point uh, as russia tries to control the black sea border um the donbass uh, will become a, a focal point, and it will probably become a, a, a slower war, um, a less rapid war. Uh, there'll be fewer fronts, and 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 um, uh, um, we we may even see some local ceasefires and 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 complications. Um, but no, uh, it's 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 as depressing as it's been since since the invasion began. So nothing else to add there. To stay on top of all of our Ukraine news, analysis and dispatches from the ground, subscribe to The Telegraph. You can get your first 30 days completely free at telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio. Or sign up to Dispatches, our daily Ukraine newsletter, which brings stories from our award-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. You can listen to this conversation live at 1pm each weekday on Twitter Spaces. Follow The Telegraph on Twitter so that you don't miss it. If you found this show helpful... Follow Ukraine, the latest on your podcast app. And if there's something we could do to make it even more useful, do let us know. You can email podcasts at telegraph.co.uk. Ukraine, the latest is produced by Louisa Wells and Giles Gear, And on Twitter, Sophie Coe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.